Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Historic Pinstripe Show, episode 11. Again, my name is Brian, and I have been a diehard Yankees fan since I was seven years old. Thank you all for listening to last week's episode on the top five Yankees left fielders of all time. And also thank you for listening to last week's episode on the first Historic Pinstripes Challenge. Um, You can feel free to look forward to the next Historic Pinstripes Challenge this Friday. And that will be out every Friday. Um, And we'll be putting that out more routinely on Fridays. And this episode, these will be the longer episodes. Um, Of course, we're finishing up on the top five Yankees at each position and we'll be going further into that and um then probably some other topics as well uh, but these will be more long some longer episodes um however the goal of the historic pinstripe show as always is to preserve the rich history and tradition of the new york yankees by discussing the greatest yankees players and greatest yankees moments in yankees history and as always you can feel free to uh tweet your own top five um, Yankees at each position at historic NYY on Twitter and feel free to comment on Facebook or Instagram as well um, leaving your top five or any other comments that you might want to make about the Yankees Yankees history um, maybe some of the something about the if you want if you have a, a couple Yankee legends that you want us to um, to put up uh, between like last week we had Mariano Rivera and Babe Ruth in the historic pinstripes challenge if you want to suggest any any uh, pitchers and hitter combinations of the past and and present or whatever, um, feel free to do so in the comments. Um, however, this week's episode will be on the top five Yankee center fielders of all time and why. And I just wanted to mention also our email. You can email the show at historicpinstripes at gmail.com. And so let's get into the top five Yankee center fielders of all time. We're going to start off with a few of the honorable mentions, but they're not in the top five. There are uh, quite a few Yankee center fielders um, that have played for quite a long time, and some of these guys have not did not. I didn't feel that they had played a long long enough time, um, but they they were pretty good in their they were very good actually in their their tenure with the Yankees. However, you can't pick them all. It's a f- top five, so I mean, anyways, we're going to start off Mickey Rivers. He will help the Yankees win two World Series titles. Um, Mickey Rivers also was a left-handed hitter, of course. He was five foot ten, or he was listed at five foot ten anyway. Um, he had hundred. He was one hundred sixty-five pounds. His nickname was Mick the Quick. Of course, he was a smaller guy. He was a leadoff guy. He was known for his speed. Um, his baseball reference WAR or wins above replacement, which is basically just kind of a reference point uh, that just uh, kind of shows like how good he was compared to like if you just put out any other player. Um, like how much you would be missing him. His the higher your your WAR or wins above replacement is for that player. His is thirty two point seven, so that's pretty pretty darn good. Um, and he played three and a half seasons with the Yankees, seventy six to seventy nine. Um, and his Yankees career played over uh, four hundred and eighty five games. He had two thousand one hundred seventeen plate appearances. He actually played four hundred ninety games. Um, he had five hundred ninety eight hits. 93 stolen bases, a 299 batting average, 324 on base percentage, and a 110 on base plus slugging adjusted, um, which is above average. Um, and a 326 weighted on base average is, of course, is your overall offensive contributions per plate appearance. And however, the uh, weighted on base average is your, is his, it's actually Mickey Rivers. Um, that's his entire career total. Um, but, anyways, 
it just gives you a a reference of how good he was offensively um, overall. His best seasons were 1976 and 1977. Um, 1976, he was third in MVP, um, which I didn't realize actually. Um, and actually, the the winner, of course, of the of the MVP award that year was Thurman Munson. 1976, he played in 137 games. He batted 312. He also had nine. He had 43 stolen bases, a 327 on base percentage, an on base plus slugging adjusted of 123, and also he had a weighted weighted on base average of 346 as well, which is which is pretty darn good. Um, so he was he that's that was definitely his. I would say that was probably his best year. Um, 1977 though, he also had a very good year. He had um, played 138 games. He had hit 326 that year. Um, he was actually a better hitter than I thought. I didn't, I didn't realize how good of a hitter he was. Um, but of course, you know, uh, with Billy Martin, if he didn't hit, he wouldn't have been in the leadoff spot all those years as, uh, as well. I mean, those three years. And he had 22 stolen bases that year. He had a 348 on base percentage, which I think that might have been his highest um, on base percentage um, in his career for the Yankees anyway. Also, he had a 115 on base plus slugging adjusted as well. So uh, Mickey Rivers had a he had a very good career with the Yanks, and in the postseason, um, I didn't realize how good of a hitter Mickey Rivers was. He never hit a home run in the postseason, but that wasn't his job, and I'm, you know, I'm sure Billy Martin didn't really want him to go up there and hit home runs. He had Reggie Jackson and other guys who could do that, um, you know, Chris Chambliss. But Mickey Rivers, he played 29 postseason games with the Yankees. He had 308 in 124 plate appearances, which is very good. Um, he had four stolen bases, um, you know, I'm, and I'm sure in the postseason especially, uh, Billy Martin was a guy who liked to hit and run, and he liked to move guys around. He liked guys to move the runners, and Mickey Rivers was obviously a big part of that, along with um, their second baseman, of course, Willie Randolph, who I've mentioned before, um, with the top five second basemans. Um, and his on-base, Mickey Rivers' on-base percentage in the postseason was 331, which is pretty darn good. He only struck out nine times in 124 plate appearances as well. Um, for a leadoff hitter, that's very good. Um, and that's a lot of plate appearances too. So um, anyways, his best uh, postseason play came in the American League Championship Series. He hit 386, had a 417 on-base percentage in those games in the ALCS. 1977, American League ALCS. Um, uh, the Kansas City uh, Royals, they were playing Game 5. And he he had a game tying RBI single, um, the first of three runs in the in the uh, fourth inning or the ninth inning I believe, and uh, you know the I believe the Yankees ended up winning that game and I and I believe actually they won that they won that series as well in uh, game five as well, so you know he was a big reason for that and obviously you know he was a leadoff hitter too so he was very important to the Yankees and you know him being a leadoff guy center fielder he was very fast Billy Martin playing the way he did. Um, uh, he was very vital for the Yanks, um, and, and, uh, especially 77 and 78, but also 76 as well. And 79, he ended up getting traded. Um, I think it was halfway through the year. Um, but I'm, I'm not positive exactly when the date was. And another guy I wanted to mention was Johnny Damon. Johnny Damon helped the Yankees win one World Series title. Um, he played four seasons with the New York Yankees. Um, and uh, with the Yankees, he came to the Yankees in 2006, of course, from the Boston Red Sox and played till 2009. Um, he was a left-handed hitter. I, actually, Johnny Damon, um, 2008, he played a lot more left field. In 2009, he pretty much played all left field. Um, 
He uh, actually played 570-plus games with the Yankees, um, 2,500 um, or more plate appearances, and he had 636 hits with the Yankees, 77 home runs in his career with the Yankees in four seasons, 296 RBIs, um, had 93 stolen bases. He also had 344 strikeouts in his Yankees career. He had a 285 batting average, a 363 on-base percentage, and he had an on-base plus, on base plus slugging adjusted um, of 112, which is above average. Um, so he had a very good career with the Yankees. I mean, he, he is better. He did have his better years with the Red Sox, but of course, um, when he came to the Yankees, he was already I think around 32 or so, 31, 32, somewhere around there. So he was still in his prime, but by the end of his Yankee tenure, he really wasn't the same guy anymore. However, I think he does. He did definitely benefit, obviously, him being a lefty in the right field porch in Yankee Stadium definitely helped him in his career. He actually hit uh, 24 home runs in his career twice, 2006 and 2009, which is kind of cool. He hit uh, uh, coming in the first year and then the last year. Um, anyways, 25. he had 25 or more stolen bases a season, except for 2009. He had 12 that year. Of course, by that time, I think it was like 35 or 36. So he was pretty consistent even in that category, too, for being a guy in his 30s. Um, and 2008 and 2009, like I said, he mostly played left field. But, I mean, he did play uh, a lot of center field, obviously, in 2006 and seven. And um, uh, so he was a guy I wanted to mention. The only year he hit uh, 300, he hit 303 in 2008 um, as a member of the Yankees. He had 29 stolen bases as well that year. And he had a 118 on base plus slugging adjusted, um, which is well above average. Um, and in the postseason, he helped the Yankees to one World Series title. He had 10 home runs in in, uh, in his postseason career, um, and he also had a, two, a batting average of 276. In his Yankees career, though, he had a batting average of 273 and five home runs. He had 17 RBIs with the Yankees, and he played in 23 games with the Yankees as opposed to 59 games in his entire postseason career. And um, so Johnny Damon, Johnny Damon was always known as a clutch hitter, even with the Red Sox, even with the A's probably. You can go back and check that out. Um, and, and game four of the World Series with the Yankees against the Phillies, um, he actually, one of the plays that he's most well-known for with the Yankees is the double steal on the shift. Um, the Phillies were shifting, and... Uh, you know, he took off and stole second base, and then he uh, ended up. He just ended. Up, he just went and stole third base because he knows nobody was covering third base, um, and um, so that that was one of the most, probably one of the one of his most memorable uh, moments with the Yankees. Also, there was the Game Six, 2009 American League Championship Series against the Angels. He had a go-ahead two RBI single in the fourth, and that was part of a three-run inning. Um, of course, the Yankees ended up winning that series in Game Six as well, and I believe Pettit won every single game, um, you know, every every single clinching game um, in 2009 as well. Um, and 2006 in the American League Division Series Game Two, which this is one I forgot about um, until I had looked it up on Baseball Reference. Uh, uh, he Johnny Damon had a go-ahead three-run home run off of Justin Verlander in the fourth inning against the Tigers in the American League Division Series in 06, um, which obviously anytime you can get a big hit like that off of a guy like Justin Verlander, um, you know, even though they lost that series, that was still a big hit. And it just shows you how good just uh, how good Johnny Damon was. And 
Um, anyway, so he's definitely a guy that's that's worth mentioning. Um, another guy I wanted to mention was Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson played a little bit longer than Johnny Damon. He actually played five seasons, but it was really more like four and a half seasons. Um, he played from 1980, 1985 to 1989. Um, obviously, the last season was a partial season. Um, he was a four-time All-Star with the Yankees. He ended up, I think, uh, I think he went to 22 All-Star games or something like that in his entire career. He started, of course, with Oakland, got traded to the Yankees, and then uh, after, um, I think in the middle of 89, around June or so, I think it was, he ended up getting traded uh, back to Oakland. Um, and uh, the, 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 there was an interesting part of that trade, too. Um, uh, there was one pitcher who uh, ended up getting traded to um to Oakland, and then when they to, to get Ricky Henderson, and that was in 1980, I think it was like in December of 1984 or so, and then uh, and then later, uh, obviously when Ricky got traded away from the Yankees back to Oakland, he gets traded as in another package with that same pitcher coming to the Yankees. So it was kind of interesting, and th that pitcher's name was Eric Plunk, but um, it was just something I wanted to mention. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, there were other guys in the trade. I think in the trade coming back. Greg Cataray was part of the trade. Eric Plunk, and there was another guy. Uh, I can't think of his name right now off, off the top of my head. Anyways, 1998, he uh, Ricky Henderson. Um, and this is kind of a side note because Ricky Henderson didn't play for the Yankees in 98, but he was 39 years old that year, and he led the league in stolen bases. He had 66 stolen bases um, at 39 years old in 1998. I just thought that was kind of a cool stat. Um, back to his Yankees career. He uh, had played 596 games with the Yankees, 2,735 plate appearances, 78 home runs, 255 um, RBIs. He had 326 stolen bases in his Yankees career, and I think that's an all-time high uh, that leaves all, all Yankees. Um, and that's just in his brief period with the Yankees. It shows you how, how many times he stole, uh, stole bases. Um, and he hit 288 with, his, with the Yankees. Had a 395 on base percentage and an on base plus slugging of 135, an on base plus slugging adjusted, which is very good, well above average. He actually stole at least 80 bases in three seasons with the Yankees. One of those seasons, he stole 93 bases in 1988. 1985, he was third in the MVP. Um, of course, Don Manley won that year, but he also had a very good season. He actually won a silver slugger that year as well. Um, and also, Ricky Henderson hit 291 or better for three seasons. He had a 263 batting average in 1986. And um, another player I wanted to mention was Brett Gardner. Um, of course, I did mention Gardner last week, so I'm not going to go too far, too much into Brett Gardner's career because I mentioned a lot about him in the top five Yankees left fielders episode. And I believe, uh, and and um, he, I mentioned him in the top five. So I just wanted to mention him as a center fielder as well because he was a he is or he is a very good center fielder. I mean he still plays center field, you know, even when Aaron Hicks goes out, which it seems to be you know like once a year he's still here go on the injured list and Brett Gardner had to play a lot of time at in center field. Um, but he also did play quite a bit of center field before as well. So um, and and Gardner's a very very good um, outfielder. And he played all three positions very fast. Um, you know, power, power to pull, and, you know, you see him play. So uh, we all know how good Brett Gardner is, very clutch. Um, uh, so 
let's get into the top five Yankees. Um, this is in no really particular order. Bobby Mercer was the first guy I wanted to mention. He was a left-handed hitter, threw right-handed. Um, he's actually kind of a one of the, the the last links, I guess you could say, to Mickey Mantle. And actually, he's kind of similar in some ways, just in the sense that he started out as a shortstop and Mantle started out as a shortstop. And they're both from Oklahoma. Um, I think so. I, I would imagine Bobby Mercer idolized Mickey Mantle growing up. Um, and he actually played two stints with the Yankees. Um, uh, the, he, I think he had wanted, I'm, I'm sure he had wanted to play his entire career with the Yankees. Um, but, you know, baseball is a business too and stuff. Uh, however, um, so it was kind of sad that he did not get to be part of the Yankees World, any, any Yankee World Series championships in 77 and 78. He did, he did help the Yankees get to the World Series, though, in 1981 as, as well. He played 13 seasons with, his, with the Yankees in his, um, in his entire Yankee career. Uh, he played 17 seasons overall in his career. Um, he came back to the Yankees in 1979, played until 1983. But by then, he was already um, toward the end of his career. So he wasn't quite the same player as he was in the beginning of his career. Um, he missed two seasons um, around, I think it was 16... 68 and 69. Oh, no, I think it was 67 and 68 um, he missed because uh, he went to serve in the Army. He actually served in, uh, served in uh, Fort Huachuca in Arizona, and he was a radio operator over there. Um, I don't think he ever went to Vietnam, but I'm not sure about that. Um, but anyways, he served two, season, two, two years there, came back to the Yankees, and uh, uh, what he did with the Yankees in his career, his first stint, and well, see, what he did in his entire Yankees career, he played over 1,250 games. He had 4,497 played appearances, 1,231 hits in his Yankees career, 175 home runs in his Yankees career, 630 or 687 RBIs in his Yankees career. He had a 278 batting average for the Yankees, um, a 349 on base percentage, a 129 on base plus slugging adjusted, which is well above average. Um, and also he had a 74 stolen bases in his Yankees career as well. Um, another thing about Mercer, I didn't realize, uh, I, I didn't realize how much power he had. He had a lot more power than I thought he did. Of course he played before I, I didn't, I don't really remember him as a player. I remember him more of a, as a broadcaster, um, broadcasting with, uh, you know, Tom Seaver, uh, WPIX, um, you know, Tom Seaver, Rizzuto, and uh, of course Bobby Mercer. Um, I remember him a lot there. But his first stint was 1965 to 74. He ended up getting traded for Bobby Bonds with the uh, yeah the San Francisco Giants. He went to the Giants. Of course, Bonds came to the Yankees. Um, then 1979, he ended up coming back to the Yankees. Um, I can't remember the guy he was traded for off the top of my head, but he was on the Cubs at the time. Ended up getting traded to the Yankees in 79. And in 1983, um, obviously, I think he ended up getting released or something like that. And, and then, of course, I believe he really just went right into the Yankees broadcasting booth. And I think he also ended up working as a Yankee hitting coach and in the Yankee front office as well. Um, and, of course, he ended up um, as a Yankee broadcaster for many, many years, of course. Um, which is how I remember him mostly. Uh, and um, also Bobby Mercer, uh, 1969 course like i said i mentioned he started as a shortstop i think that was back in like 1965 or so but in 1969 they were already converting him into the outfield he started in right field in 69 completed 152 games with the yankees um 26 home runs that year he had 82 rbis 
103 strikeouts, a 259 batting average, a 119 OPS plus or on base plus slugging adjusted. He had a weighted on base average of 397 as well that year, so we had a very good season. Um, and then this is when he started playing a lot more center field. 1970 played 159 games. He had 23 home runs, 78 RBIs. The strikeouts came down a little bit, went down to 100 strikeouts. He had a 251 batting average that year, 116 OPS plus or on base uh, plus slugging adjusted. He had a 345 weighted on base average. So again, another good season for Bobby Mercer. His best season uh, with the Yankees anyway was probably 1971. He was an all-star. He played in 146 games with the Yankees, 25 home runs. He had 94 RBIs that year. Um, he had uh, 60 stone. He only had 60 strikeouts that year. He only struck out, uh, which is very good. Uh, he had a 331 batting average, 331, uh, 427 um, on base percentage, which I believe was a career high for him. But uh, of course, that's extremely good. 181 on base plus slugging adjusted, very good. Um, 430 weighted on base average. And, you know, so that just kind of shows how good he was offensively. He was definitely one of the best outfielders in the game at that time. 1972, he was actually fifth in MVP, which kind of surprised me. I didn't realize um, didn't realize that at all. Uh, he also won a gold glove that year as well. He played 153 games that year, scored 102 runs that year. Um, he actually led the league in runs scored uh, with 102. 33 home runs that year, and I didn't realize he hit that many home runs. Uh, he had 96 RBIs, 11 stolen bases, only struck out 67 times in 153 games um, in 1972. Uh, he, uh, Mercer also had a 9, 292 batting average, a 361 on base percentage, a 164 or 169 on base plus slugging adjusted. Um, uh, and, you know, his weighted on base average was also 402, so he had a very good year that year as well. Um, he also played six seasons. Um, where he had six seasons where he hit at least 281 or higher. He, uh, he was a four-time All-Star in his career with the Yankees. He did, uh, when he got traded to the Giants, he did also win an All-Star, um, go to an All-Star game, I mean, with the San Francisco Giants as well. Um, so he had four, four All-Star appearances with the Yankees, one with the Giants. Um, in the postseason, he played eight games with the Yankees. I think they were all in, I think they were all in, yeah, they were in 1980 and 81. Um, but he played eight postseason games. He, so, I mean, he really didn't play a whole lot with the Yankees. By that time, he was already a little bit older. So, I mean, he wasn't the same player. Um, he, he did have one hit. Uh, he had uh, he had two walks and one sacrifice hit. 1980 um, was when he got the hit, and he also walked in that same game. They won the game as well. Game three versus the A's, top of the seventh, two-out single off of the late Matt Keogh. Um, Matt Keogh was a right-handed pitcher for the Oakland A's, um, and Matt Keogh was he he went eight and a third inning, um, eight and a third innings for the Oakland A's, and uh, he only gave up one earned run. So um, I just figured I'd mention that was that was the one hit he had, um, and that was in 1980. Um, anyways, so Bobby Mercer is definitely a guy, and I actually kind of forgot a lot about Bobby Mercer. I cause I didn't really see him play, so. Um, so he was definitely a guy that kind of surprised me. I mean, I knew he was good, but I didn't know, I didn't realize how good he was. Um, and also, uh, what I liked about Bobby Mercer, because I remember him as a broadcaster, I remember that he was a very good color commentator. He was, I liked, I used to like listening to him and Phil Rizzuto, obviously, when I was younger, but I remember him a lot more, you know, obviously with, um, 
with Michael K um, later on on the Yes Network. Um, obviously, I remember I don't live in the in the tri-state area, so I remember him because um, I used to I watch games on MLB.tv, and they a lot of times they mention uh, a lot of times they would have you know of course uh, Bobby Mercer and Michael K, and Bobby Mercer would do a lot of the color commentary. Um, uh, obviously, Bobby Mercer, there must be sometimes, kind of like Ken Singleton, he would do a lot of the play-by-play, -play too. So, and I always found that Bobby Mercer did a very good job, especially as a player. Um, that's not, like, can't, like, because he had to kind of learn, and I'm sure, you know, he worked with Phil Rizzuto and Michael Kay, so he kind of learned from all those guys, and he was a very good broadcaster. Um, anyways, moving on, let's move on to Earl Coombs. Um, he was known as the Kentucky Colonel, helped the Yankees win three World Series titles um, in the 1920s the late 1920s and the early 1930s. Um, he was a Hall of Famer. Uh, he uh, was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1970 by the Veterans Committee. Um, he was a left-handed hitter, and he threw right, which is a little bit... Well, no, yeah. Um, he was a left-handed hitter, and he threw right. He was 6 feet, or listed at 6 feet, 185 pounds, um, which kind of gives you a description of what he might look like um, because he did play so long ago. Um, so that's kind of why I wanted to mention his his height. And um, and anyways, uh, Earl Coombs played 12 seasons with the Yankees, all with the Yankees. His first hit and his first at bat was against the Boston Red Sox. He had three 200 hit seasons um, for the Yankees as well. Um, and uh, Earl Coombs was another guy I didn't realize how his numbers were really really impressive. Um, in his career, played 1,455 games, 6,514 plate appearances. 1,866 hits, 58 home runs, 633 RBIs, 98 stolen bases, 278 strikeouts in his career, and that's in that's over 1,400 games. Um, and he had batted in his career 12 seasons of 325, 397 on base percentage, a 125 on base plus slugging adjusted, which is very good, 395 weighted on base average as well. Um, so uh, Urquhams had a great career. Um, definitely, I think he's definitely worthy of being a Hall of Famer. Um, he was, he was also a leadoff hitter, just like, uh, Mickey Rivers. He was probably a better, I would say he was a better leadoff hitter than Mickey. Um, Mickey was maybe faster. I don't, I don't really know, because obviously I didn't see either one of them play, and especially Earl Coombs, because he played so long ago. Um, uh, Earl Coombs' breakout season was probably 1925, I would say, um, just by looking at the numbers. Uh, his, he played 150 games that year. Um, 674 plate appearances, 203 hits that year. Um, he had 36 doubles, 13 triples, 17, or 117 runs scored. Of course, that year, 1925, he had um, Babe Ruth uh, hitting behind him. And, of course, Lou Gehrig uh, part of the way through. Of course, he came in for Wally Pipp in 1925 because uh, Wally Pipp had obviously got hurt famously. and Not famously, but, I mean, it was famous because, you know, when he got hurt, that's when Lou, Gehrig, Lou Gehrig's Iron Man streak started. And, you know, when you have Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth behind you in the lineup, that also features Tony Lazeri as well, I believe. Um, you know, that, that and if you're getting on base like he was, you know, a 203-hit season. Um, uh, he only struck out 43 times, 65 walks, um, so more walks than strikeouts. He had a 342 batting average, 411 on base percentage, a 123 on base plus looking adjusted. Um, so 403 weighted on base average. Um, and uh, 1925, that was definitely his breakout season. 
Uh, he had at least 282 every season besides 1924 in his entire career. He had a 299 average or higher in 10 seasons. Um, uh, his highest batting average was 356. Six seasons of a f with a 405 on base percentage or higher. His career low on base percentage was 1926, 352. Um, he led the league in double uh, or in triples three times. 1927, he had 23 triples. 1928, he had 21 triples. And 1930, he had 22 triples. Um, so he was obviously very fast. Um, and, um, um, you know, if you remember the original Yankee Stadium, too, and actually probably at that time, too, it was a little bit different than the old Yankee Stadium because they had re renovated it in uh, 1974. Um, but anyways, they had to contend with the Death Valley out there, so that's when they called that Death Valley because that was where triples went to die, and I'm sure that was part of that why he had so many triples as well. But I'm sure him being a leadoff guy and a center fielder, he was very fast. His best year was probably 1927. Um, he had played 152 games, 726 plate appearances, 231 hits, led the league, 36 doubles, 23 triples, 6 home runs, 64 RBIs. So he wasn't much of a power power hitter, but he didn't really need to be, like I said, because he had Ruth and Gehrig behind him and other guys like that. Uh, he had scored a, a hundred, 137 runs scored, only 30, 31 strikeouts in 1927 for Coombs, 62 walks. Um, he had a 356 batting average, 414 on base percentage, 141 on base plus slugging adjusted. Um, Weighted on base average of 424, uh, a very, very good season. Uh, 1928, 149 games played, 704 plate appearances, 32 doubles, um, 7 home runs that year. He had 11 stolen bases, 310 batting average, 124 OPS plus. Again, I'm sure they didn't want him to steal that many bases, especially with considering, uh, you know, having Tony Lazari or Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, guys like that were just going to drive him in anyway. 1932, another year, he had a very good season. Um, I, but um, he, he actually struck out just 16 times that year in 137 games. That's 617 plate appearances, and he only struck out 16 times. It's, it's kind of re very remarkable. Um, and uh, 1925, he actually, that was the most he struck out 43 times, and that was earlier in his career. Showed you how good he was at just, um, just plate discipline. Um, and uh, just being able to put the bat on the ball. In the postseason, like I said, he helped the Yankees win three World Series titles, um, win probability added of 0 0.76. Um, in his career, he played 16 games in the postseason, 72 plate appearances, uh, 21 hits, one home run, nine RBIs. Of course, he was a leadoff guy, 17 runs scored, only struck out seven times in those 16 games. He had a 350 batting average and a 451 on base percentage. Of course, he was a leadoff hitter, so I mean, it was his job just to get on base and let the guys behind him, like Ruth and Gehrig, do their job, um, which of course they would, they would do most of the time. And uh, you know, uh, Earl Coombs, he also hit in all seven World Series games in 1926 versus the Cardinals. Um, every game but one, he hit in. Uh, in 1927 and 1932, they won both of those World Series. Um, and in 1927, World Series Game 4 versus the Pirates, uh, he scored on a wild pitch, and it was basically a walk-off. Um, so it was like a walk-off wild pitch. Yankees won the Game 4-3. to three. Johnny Milgis was the pitcher for the Pirates who uh, who uh, threw the wild pitch. He was pitching to Tony Lazari, 
Earl Coons was on third base, of course, and and it was with two outs as well. So I mean, it was a, a, definitely a big big play in the game. You know, cost cost the Pirates the game, and well, it was tied at the time. But I mean, that just shows you how important it was to have a guy in the lineup who could just put pressure on the on the um, the other team's pitcher. 1932 World Series versus the Cubs, Game Four, his last World Series game. He was three for four, and he had his only home run in a World Series that that game as well. He had a, a two RBI game as well, four runs scored, two walks. Another very good uh, postseason appearance for him. His last hit was a home run, actually, ironically enough, and it was in the ninth inning. And he also in that same game, Game Four against the Cubs, 1932. And I think that, I don't know if that was the same game, but in 1932, that was uh, Ruth's called shot. But in game four, uh, Earl Coombs had a go-ahead single to left field in the top of the eighth. The Yankees um, ended up winning winning the game at 13-5, though. And Earl Coombs also had the most double plays turned in center field in 1928 as well with seven. Um, So, you know, he was obviously a pretty darn good center fielder as well, um, as well as being a clutch hitter and a very good leadoff guy. Um, so let's move on to another player I wanted to mention, Bernie Williams, who most fans I'm sure are very uh, aware of. Uh, Bernie Williams, um, Bernie Williams is actually one of my favorite players. Um, watching him grow up, I get to see Bernie as a young player kind of develop as everyone else has um, into being a All Star and just a fan favorite, clutch hitter. Um, Bernie Williams is definitely. Um, one of the Yankees' best center fielders of all time, uh, Bernie Williams. If you wanted to know, he's listed at six foot two, 180 pounds, or he was anyway. I mean, um, in his playing days, he was he played 16 seasons with the Yankees. Um, he's a five-time All-Star, batting title in 1998. He won four Gold Gloves. I think there were four four straight too. Um, he won a Silver Slugger in 2002 with the Yankees, and his uh, Major League debut. Um, July 7th, 1991 versus the Baltimore Orioles. He was one for three with two RBIs. He had a sack fly and an RBI single in that game. And I just wanted to take this time just to ask you all a trivia question. You can feel free to answer it on Twitter at HistoricNYY or feel free to email me at HistoricPinstripes at gmail.com. Trivia question is, who did Bernie Williams get his first hit off of? And again, feel free to tweet me at HistoricNYY or email me at historic pinstripes at gmail.com. Um, in Bernie's career, he played 9,053 plate appearances. He had 2,366 hits in his Yankees career, 287 home runs, 297 batting average in his career, and he had over 140 stolen bases. Um, he had 381 on-base percentage in his Yankees career, 125 on-base plus slugging adjusted, and a 373 weighted on-base average as well. Um, so, again, he had a very... He had a great Yankee career. Um, definitely one of the most underrated Yankees, in my opinion. Of course, you know I'm probably a little biased. He was one of my favorite players as well. Uh, but however, um, I think I don't think anyone would argue with how how clutch he was in the postseason. Um, he actually broke uh, Mickey Mantle's record, I believe, because I believe it was him that originally broke Mantle's record for most home runs in the uh, in a World Series. Um, I think he ended up getting 22. And then that lasted until I think Manny ended up tying him. I'm not too sure where it is right now, the uh, all-time postseason home run record. Um, of course, he did play a lot of postseason games, but he, he was very, very clutch. He even had a 12-game 12 12 game postseason hitting streak. Um, 
His breakout season, though, with the Yankees was probably, I would say, I guess I would say 1993, um, even though he did have some a uh, better year in 1995. 93, he hit 268 with 12 home runs and 68 RBIs. Um, but 95, he really stepped it up. 144 games, um, 307 batting average, 392 on base, 18 home runs, 82 RBIs, 190, I mean, 129 on base plus slugging adjusted. Um, so that was very, very good that year. Um, eight straight seasons uh, with a 305 batting average or higher. Yeah, um, his best season was 1998, I would say, um, or I guess you could say 1998, 99, 2002. He had some very, very good years. But 98, he had played 128 games, 578 plate appearances, 26 home runs, 97 RBIs, 15 stolen bases. He had batted 339, 422 on base percentage, 160 on base plus slugging, well above average. Um, he had four straight gold gloves from 1997 to 2000. Um, uh, Bernie Williams also, he only struck out 100 times once in his career, and that was in 1993. Um, I believe he was only like 24 years old that year. He actually struck out 106 times that year. That was the most he struck out. He had 202 or more hits twice in his career. 2009, I mean 2002, and 1999. Uh, he played. He played. He hit, he got 202 hits in 2002 and 204 hits in 1999. Um, 1999 played 158 games, 25 homers, 115 RBIs, 95 strikeouts, 342 batting average, the highest in his career. 435 on base percentage, the highest in his career, I believe, as well. And um, uh, he had a 149 on base plus slugging adjusted as well that year, well above average. 2,141 games, 30 home runs, led. Um, that was his career high as well. 121 RBIs, 30, 13 stolen bases. Um, he had a 307 batting average, 391 on base percentage, and uh, his on base plus slugging adjusted was 140. Um, 403 weighted on base average, which of course is his overall offensive contributions per plate appearance. And he had eight straight seasons with 305 average or better from 1995 to 2002. Ten straight seasons with 15 home runs or more. 2000, he had 137 games played um, and he didn't have one error. 2001, he had 144 games played and he only made two errors. And uh, from, in 1997, 128 games played. And he also only made two errors as well, so um, he was very good, very a very good defensive center fielder. In the postseason, helped the Yankees win four World Series titles, as most people know. Um, in his career with the Yankees in the postseason, played 121 games, 545 plate appearances, 22 homers, like I mentioned before, 80 RBIs, 271 batting average, 371 on base percentage. Uh, he also had a positive win probability added as well in the postseason so he definitely helped the Yankees a lot um, to win a lot of postseason games a lot of big games a lot of clutch moments American League Championship Series he batted 321 413 on base percentage um, and 41 games in those ALCS uh, uh, series um, that was his probably his best postseason play uh, where he did his best work um, except for like 1996 in the American League Division Series against the Rangers he really he really, uh, he really torched the Texas Rangers in 1996, and then of course in 1999, I think it was Game One. He really, he really gave them nightmares. Um, uh, he actually had 467 in 1996 in the American League Division Series. He had a 500 on base percentage, three home runs, five RBIs, only struck out one time. He was seven for 15 in that series. 1996 ALCS, he was the MVP um, in that same game. 
uh, where Jeffrey Mayer reached over and uh, he took the ball away from Tony Tarasco practically. Um, well, yeah, kind of. And um, in right field, later on in that game in the 11th inning, because the game was tied, of course, and um, Bernie Williams was up at the plate, top uh, bottom of the 11th, and he hit a home run, walk-off home run to win the first game in the American League Championship ser Series. And, of course, the Yankees went on to win that win that series. Um, I think it was in uh, six games, um, but I'm not, I'm not positive on that. He ended up playing five games, maybe, so maybe it was a five-game series. Um, but anyways, he had two home runs in that series, six RBIs, had a 474 batting average, and a 583 on base percentage. Um, so that just shows how good he was in the postseason, especially in 96. That was when he really broke out as a, as a star player. Um, and you know, made his made his name as a being a clutch hitter. Um, he actually had a 12 game hitting streak, like I mentioned, from the 2003 American League Championship Series Game Seven. He got to hit every game from that game in the postseason to uh, the 2004 American League Championship Series in Game One. Every so in every single postseason game in between there, he had a hit of 12 games. 1995 Game One versus the Mariners American League Division Series. Bernie Williams hit a go ahead RBI double off of Bobby Ayala in the seventh inning. The Yankees won that game. Um, 2000 American League Championship Series. Game two against the Seattle Mariners. Um, El Duque pitched a very good game. Eight innings, one earned run. Bernie Williams game tying RBI single off of Arthur Rhodes in the eighth inning. Um, uh, and then again, 2001 American League Championship Series Game Four, game tying home run off Arthur Rhodes in the eighth inning again, and uh, he also had a walk off. Um, well, actually, Soriano later in that same game had a two run walk off home run against Soriano. I mean, against uh, the Mariners, the pitcher was Sasaki, uh, Kaza Kazuhiro Sasaki, I believe. He was a closer for the Mariners, um, and the Yankees won the game three to one. Um, and also another mention, another one I wanted to mention, 2002 American League Division Series Game One versus the Angels. Um, Bernie Williams had a go-ahead um, three-run home run in the eighth inning off of Brendan Donnelly, relief pitcher. Um, and I think that yeah, that was one of the, one of the only games the Yankees won. Actually, I think the though they won another game too because I think that series ended up going five. Um, However, you know, I just wanted to mention those just to show there was a lot more. But Bernie Williams was a—he was a great postseason hitter. He was—he uh, was very clutch. Um, so, anyways, moving on, we're gonna move on to Joe DiMaggio, Jolton Joe, the Yankee Clipper. Um, of course, Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle—they're one and two. It's basically, they're not even one and two in Yankees history as far as the top five Yankee center fielders. It's like one and one or one and one A. It's that close between DiMaggio and Mantle. Um, however, uh, Joe DiMaggio was from San Francisco. He was a three-time MVP, two-time batting title winner. He was a 13-time All-Star, and he played in 13 seasons for the Yankees. So it shows how, how great he was. Um, and he also missed three seasons in the middle of his prime. Um, his prime years, he was I think it was from 27 years old to like 30 years old or so. Um, he missed those years. So, I mean... He could have been. He, his numbers would have been even better. It was just kind of scary. Um, he was six foot two, or listed at six foot two, one hundred ninety three pounds. Um, obviously, he's known as a very graceful outfielder, um, and he, he just he just had a presence about him. Kind of like it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the the way he carried himself, or just seeing highlights of the way he carried himself and the way he talked. Anyway, um, it kind of reminded me of a guy like Derek Jeter or Lou Gehrig, um, that kind of a player. Um, he played over. He had over 7,672 plate appearances with the Yankees. 2,214 hits, 361 home runs, 
1,537 RBIs, 30 stolen bases in his career. Only struck out 367 times in over 7,600 plate appearances. He hit 325, had a 398 on base percentage. That's in his entire 13 season career. 155 on base plus slugging adjusted, well above average. Um, 439 weighted on base average as well. Um, his fan graphs war. Again, that wins above a replacement. It just shows how um, how much better he was than any other uh, player you could put out there. Um, and his was 83.1. Baseball reference war was 79.1. Um, Jordan Maggio led the league in home runs twice, once in Major League Baseball. Um, he had 46 home runs once. That was his career high. Led the league in RBIs three times in his career. Led the league in batting average in uh, 1939 and 1940 and also he had his lowest on base plus slugging adjusted was 116 um which is still above average that was in 1951 his final season um and also in 1941 of course and the 56 game hitting streak um it, that that's just something that probably will not be broken it's gonna be very very difficult for anybody to break that hitting streak not even tony gwynn could break it or pete rose there's been a lot of guys that have come close to the 56-game hitting streak, but as soon as they get to, like, 40 or 30, um, you know, the more media attention you get, especially nowadays with social media and all that, um, it's just going to be very, very hard to, to beat. I mean, maybe someday there might be some guy, maybe some player, maybe a Mike Trout, I don't know, but it's going to be extremely difficult for anybody to break that record. That's one of the that's one of the that's going to be one of the toughest records for anybody to break, and it might not ever be broken. Um, also, in 1941, Jordan Maggio only struck out 13 times in that season, which is amazing, especially considering how many times um, some players strike out today. Um, so that's just that's that's amazing. Um, the most he struck out in a season was 39 times. That's incredible. Uh, so Jordan Maggio obviously had a, a, a great eye at the plate. 1937, he was second in the MVP. 151 games, um, 692 plate appearances, 215 hits, led the league. 46 home runs, led the league, 167 RBIs, um, he had 37 strikeouts, uh, um, strikeouts 37 times in 151 games, uh, and that's over 692 plate appearances, 346 batting average, 412 on base percentage, 166 on base plus slugging adjusted, and he had a 474 weighted on base average, so I mean, of course, another great year for Joe, uh, Joe, two seasons with uh, 206 plus hits with the Yankees. Um, he had in his first seven seasons, uh, he had a 305 batting average or higher. Um, 381 in 1939 when he won his first MVP. And in those first seven seasons, he had 21 or more home runs, 114 or more RBIs, and 128 OPS plus or higher. 1939, um, of course, his MVP year, like I mentioned, he played 120 games that year, 524 plate appearances, 30 home runs, 126 RBIs, only struck out 20 times, 381 bag, a 381 batting average, 448 on base percentage, had a 184 on base plus slugging, adjusted, 495 weighted on base average. Um, I think that was a career high as well. Uh, so uh, another great year. 1941, like I mentioned, 139 games played, 622 plate appearances, 30 home runs, led the league in. Um, RBIs 125, 76 walks, 13 strikeouts, like I mentioned before, um, and uh, 357 batting average, 440 on base percentage, 184 OPS plus. Um, so I mean, he he was just a phenom phenomenal. 
Um, and the, and actually, he probably could have probably could have won a triple crown a f- few times in his career or a couple times in his career. But he did play around the same time as Ted Williams too. And um, you know, so there was there was a lot of other great, great players at that time. But Joe DiMaggio, the consistency that that he just the way he played, he was just so consistent. And there's there's not many like him. There's he's just he was a phenomenal player. 1940 was third in MVP, 132 games played, 572 plate appearances, 31 home runs, 133 RBIs, 315 batting average, 391 on-base percentage, and I had 154 on-base plus looking adjusted. 1948, so already getting a little bit older. This, of course, was after his, um, 47 actually was his third MVP as well. Um, but 1948, he, uh, he was second in the MVP, and this was when he was getting older in his career. He had 153 games, 664 plate appearances, only struck out 39 times. Um, he had 155 RBIs in his career, uh, 39 home runs, 30 strikeouts, um, and that was in 155 games, 153 games rather, 320 batting average, uh, 396 on base percentage. Um, another great season for Joe. Uh, and in 1947, Joe DiMaggio only made one error in 139 games. In 1951, his final season with the Yankees, played 113 games, and he only made three errors. Um, so he was a very, very good center fielder, of course. Um, and in the postseason, helped the Yankees win nine World Series titles. He played in 59 World or 51 World Series games, 220 plate appearances, eight home runs, 30 RBIs. He only struck out 23 times in 220 plate appearances in the postseason. Um, he had a 271 batting average and a 388 on base percentage. Um, his best series with the Yankees, 1936 to 1939, 1942, 1950, and 1951. 1939 World Series versus the Reds, Game 3. Um, the Yankees won the game 7-3, to but Joe DiMaggio had a go-ahead two-run home run. It was two outs in the third inning. Game 4 versus the Reds in 1939 in the World Series, Joe DiMaggio had a go-ahead RBI single to right field and scored Charlie Keller advancing on an, an error on the throw uh, by the right fielder. DiMaggio uh, ended up scoring, and, and that was on an error by the catcher who missed the ball, I guess. Um, and uh, I think it was Ernie Lombardi of the Reds, the catcher. Um, and uh, so it was basically, theoretically, it was basically kind of a inside-the-park home run. But um, anyway, so the Yankees ended up winning that game, and DiMaggio was a big part of it. 1941 World Series Game 3 versus the Dodgers, 2 for 4. Top of the 8th, he had an RBI single um, for the Yankees' first run of the game. Charlie Keller ended up getting an RBI single. The Yankees won the game 2-1. to one. Um, World Series Game 4 in 1950 versus the Phillies. The Yankees swept the Phillies that year. Joe DiMaggio had a go-ahead home run off of Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame pitcher uh, Robin Roberts in the 10th inning. Um, Allie Reynolds ended up getting the uh, the last three outs in the 10th. He went the whole 10 innings as well, and the Yankees won the game 2-1, to one. and of course the series. That, and they actually, they of course, won the series in four games. In the 1951 World Series, Game 6 versus the New York Giants, uh, Joe DiMaggio had a double in the 8th inning, and that was his um, his last at-bat as a Yankee. Um, so he had a double in his last at-bat. Uh, the Yankees won that game 4-3 to three as well. Um, and they won the World Series as well, too. So um, Joe DiMaggio went out on top, and I believe uh, that's kind of how Joe DiMaggio wanted to go out. And he didn't because he didn't. He, he was starting to decline, but he didn't want to. He could have played longer, probably, if he had wanted to, because he was. I think he was like 36 years old or something like that when he retired. 
but he was starting to show signs of, of uh, he just wasn't playing as well and he didn't want to be one of those guys that he wanted he and he just wanted to be at his best he just didn't he didn't feel he felt like if he couldn't play anymore it was time for him to give it up and retire and of course in 1951 that's when the next guy I'm going to mention came up Mickey Mantle of course 1951 was the only year that him and DiMaggio played on the same team and of course Mantle and DiMaggio are known that I guess they didn't get along um at first because you know especially Mantle coming up you get this uh guy Joe DiMaggio who was very private very quiet guy Mickey Mantle was more friendly but he was also um you know he's coming from the uh from the south uh, from Oklahoma coming from a long way you know he didn't probably know a whole lot of people I mean I'm sure he knew a few but anyways you know just from being in the minor leagues anyway but you know it just um and I guess DiMaggio wasn't always as welcoming because, you know, he was kind of a quiet guy as well. But, like, I mean, not to, not to make excuses, but I'm just saying, uh, um, you know, I'm sure it was, they're sure there was a little friction um, just because, you know, they probably just didn't understand each other as much at the time. It would have been kind of interesting to see if, like, they're how they, like, um, how, like I'm sure someday, like, if, like if, if, if it was possible, I wonder if they had ever talked to each other later on and after the both their careers were done I, i'm i'm actually i don't really know if mantle and dimaggio ever really uh ever really you know got along and got to talk about their careers later on i don't think they ever did but if you if you do know you can feel free to tweet me at historic nyy anyways mickey mantle helped the yankees win seven world series titles so a couple less than joe but i mean it's still a lot of World Series, obviously. Um, uh, Mickey Mantle, actually, his wins above replacement was higher than Joe DiMaggio. He had a 110 wins above replacement war, which war is a very imperfect stat, but it's it just kind of a reference just to show how, how great these players were. Um, and uh, the higher the number, the better it is. His was 110.2. Uh, DiMaggio, I believe, was like 80 or so. Um, uh, and Fangraph's war was 112.3 for Mantle. Um, and it seems like Fangraph's war uh, or wins above replacement is always a little bit higher than Baseball Reference. Baseball Reference is, if you want to go to baseballreference.com, it's just two different uh, fan websites um, for finding baseball statistics. Um, so I just wanted to uh, tell you about that. Anyways, Mickey Mantle, um, he had, uh, you know, obviously he had a lot of health issues. Um, and that's basically, sadly, kind of... Uh, he he did he wasn't the player that he could have been and he even mentioned that later in his life um as he got older he said later that was one of his regrets that he said he wishes that he took better care of his body cuz like so many players so many uh players later on and they're like when they came up a lot of younger players came up and they they idolized Mickey Mantle and he said he didn't want people to idolize him because you know he really didn't like the attention and he was just a young kid coming up from Oklahoma so he didn't really probably know how to handle it as well. But, I mean, you know, he did the best he could. And I think fans saw that. And they that's what they liked about Mickey Mantle is that they liked just how uh, just how honest he was and just how, like, you know. But anyways, uh, so Mickey Mantle, uh, you know, he could have been even better than he was. And that's very scary because Mickey Mantle had a rare combination of power and speed that really no one else had. Maybe not even Joe DiMaggio. Um, however, Joe but. I mean, Joe DiMaggio was extremely good. Like, Mickey Mantle and Joe DiMaggio and Willie Mays, those are three of the best center fielders of all time. You could even maybe put Duke Snyder in there, maybe. Uh, but three of the best, I would say, Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio, and Mickey Mantle. No questions asked. 
Um, and I guess you could even put Ken Griffey Jr. Um, in that category too. However, maybe that's for another episode anyway. Uh, Mickey Mantle had uh, one of his longest home runs, 565 feet. Um, at least it was uh, kind of a legendary home run. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if it, I, I don't think that's kind of a, they, they, they're not sure if that was the exact measurement on the home run. Uh, April 17th of 1953, um, Washington Senators Chuck Stobbs was the pitcher. Um, Mickey Mantle hit a ball from the left side of the plate, went out of Griffith Stadium in Washington. Um, it actually landed in a yard across the street, and the Yankee public address, uh, a public relations guy walked. He to find the distance. He actually walked. Um, he walked the the how, where the ball. He walked from the home plate to where the ball traveled, and it, which I guess it wasn't. Didn't it didn't really wasn't like the most accurate way to do it. But he measured it at 565 feet, so they just kind of stuck. Um, but anyways, it was basically that was the birth of the tape measure home run. Um, so, uh, you know, the Mickey Mantle hit a lot of home runs that nobody had ever seen home runs hit like Mickey Mantle hit them. Um, and for instance, like in May 22nd, 1963, Mickey Mantle hit a walk-off home run. Um, and the, the home run actually went out of the stadium or I think it actually hit the top of the facade anyway. But actually, uh, one, something Tony Kubek said later on about that was, uh, or part of what he said was that, this was not a fly ball. It was a high line drive, like no one else could hit him, and you know that's just how Mickey hit him. He just, he just, and I guess a lot of from if you listen to or watch a lot of like baseball documentaries and uh, listen to guys like like I think there's a lot of documentaries where Bob Costas talks about Mickey Mantle and Billy Crystal, and there's a bunch of people who really watched him and idolized Mantle, obviously, and they they always mention how. Um, the sound, hearing, hearing the bat ball come off of Mickey's bat was always different than anybody else, and that's kind of what you from that Tony Kubek quote of him saying, um, "This was not just a high fly ball; it was a high line drive like no one else could hit him." And actually, the ball, um, they did measure how high the ball went. It went uh, the ball went 370 feet to hit the um, on a high line drive to hit the facade, and it went 180 feet um, uh, in the air. So. I mean, uh, it was quite a shot. Um, Bill Fisher was the pitcher that he hit it off of uh, on the Kansas City A's. In Mickey Mantle's career, he played 18 seasons with the Yankees, of course, all with the Yankees, um, center fielder. And he ended up playing first base, of course, the last few years of his career. 8,102 at-bats, 2,415 hits, 536 home runs, 298 batting average, a 421 on-base percentage in his Yankees career, 172 on-base plus slugging adjusted, had a 1,509 RBIs, 153 stolen bases, so he probably had a little more speed than DiMaggio. Um, however, I think he just, yeah, he probably just had a little more speed. Um, however, I think Casey Stengel, too, was the manager as well. Um, the manager for uh, DiMaggio was um, Joe McCarthy, and uh, although I think uh, Casey Stengel did manage DiMaggio for a little bit, too. Um, but that was toward the end of his career as well. Um, and 1956 and 1957, he won an MVP, Mickey Mantle. Uh, triple crown year, of course, in 1956. 1962, he won his third MVP. He was second in the MVP three times in his career. Um, 1960, 1961, and 1964. Um, he led the league in on-base plus slugging adjusted eight times in his career. Um, three times in uh, on-base percentage, total bases. He led the league four times in home runs, 
40 plus home runs four times in his career, 50 home runs twice in his career, 50 or more home runs. And, and that was in 1956 and 1961, of course. And uh, his best years, uh, well, one of them, of course, the Triple Crown year of 1956, unanimous MVP, 150 games played, 652 plate appearances, 52 home runs, 130 RBIs. He had struck out 99 times that year. Like, he struck out a lot more than uh, DiMaggio, but he swung a lot harder, too. So it's, it's just they just kind of have a, had a little bit different style, I guess. Um, his on-base plus slugging that year, his on-base plus slugging adjusted, was 210. Um, he had a 464 on-base percentage, 353 batting average, 498 weighted on-base average as well. 1957, another MVP year, 144 games played, 623 plate appearances, 34 home runs, 94 RBIs, 74 strikeouts. He had a 365 batting average, the highest in his career, I believe, and had a 512 on-base percentage. Again, the highest in his career, which is phenomenal. Anytime you can have an on-base percentage, it's kind of like Barry Bonds when he was on steroids, um, or well, supposedly, I guess. Um, uh, but anyways, he had, uh, um, I think there was one year that Bonds had like a 612 or something like that on-base percentage. Mickey Mantle also had an on-base plus slugging, of course, that year. Uh, on-base plus slugging adjusted of 221. Um, he had a 498 weighted on-base average. In Mickey Mantle's entire career, he had an above-average weighted on-base average. Um, and also in 1961, obviously Mickey and Ma Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, the M&M boys, I believe they were roommates that year as well. So Maris and Mantle, they got along very well. And I guess Mantle, they would both cheer each other on, so um, they had a good relationship. Um, and Mantle that year, he had 54 home runs, 128 RBIs. 1962, he won an MVP after two coming in second to Maris um, the two previous years. Um, 123 games in 1962, 502 plate appearances, 30 home runs, 89 RBIs, batted 321, 46 on-base percentage, and a 195 on-base plus slugging adjusted. 1964, he had 143 games played, 567 plate appearances, 303 batting average, um, 423 on base percentage, 177 on base plus slugging adjusted, 35 home runs, and 111 RBIs. So another great year for Mickey Mantle. And that was when he was getting older, too. And in 11 seasons in his career, he hit 295 or higher. 1966, he had 23 home runs in 108 games, struck out 76 times, had a 288 batting average, 170 on base plus slugging adjusted. His lowest on-base plus looking adjusted, or OPS plus, was 117. That was 1951, his rookie year. And 1955, he only made two errors in the in center field, um, and that was in 145 games. He only made two errors in 1959 as well, 143 games. And in uh, 1960, he only made three errors in 150 games. So, um, of course, Banta was well known for... for uh, being a very good center fielder, had a great arm in the outfield. And in the postseason, uh, he obviously he helped the Yankees win seven World Series titles in his career. He only hit 257, but that's kind of deceiving because um, he did have a lot of big hits. Sometimes it's not, when, it's not how many hits you get, it's when you get the hits. Um, Joe DiMaggio was much more consistent. In the postseason, anyway, he was more consistent than, uh, than Mantle. But Mantle just had that timely... The knack for the timely hit, and especially in the big moments, and uh, um, especially with uh, his power. Um, but he hit 257, had a 374 on base percentage, 18 home runs, 40 RBI, 65 games, 
Um, games played, only struck out 54 times, too, and 43 walks. His best series was probably 1952, 1960, and 1964. 52, he hit 345. 1960, he hit 400. And 1964, he hit 333. Um, and actually, in 1960, his on-base percentage was 595. So he actually is, uh, he had three home runs in 1964, 1960, and 1952. He had two home runs. So um, he he uh, he definitely had some great series. Um, some of his biggest moments: 1952 World Series versus the Brooklyn Dodgers, Game Six. He had a go-ahead home run in the eighth inning, uh, and uh, put the Yankees up three to one. The Yankees ended up winning three to two. Um, I think the Dodgers ended up scoring in the ninth with a home run off uh, off of Vic Raschke. Um, uh, Duke Snyder hit the home run, but the Yankees hung on to win three to two. Game seven versus the Dodgers in 1952. Uh, Mickey Mantle hit a go-ahead home run in the sixth inning, and the Yankees won four to two. They ended up winning the series as well. Uh, 1953 World Series game two versus the Brooklyn Dodgers, of course, because that that was when they were going. Uh, the Yankees and the Brooklyn Dodgers were always in the World Series, seemingly anyway. 1953 Game 2, Mickey Mantle hit a go-ahead two-run home run in the eighth inning. 4-2, to Yankees won the game. Uh, game 5, he had a grand slam in the third inning with two outs. The Yankees won that game 2, 11-6. Um, 1956 World Series Game 5, that was the World Series perfect game. Of course, he was well, um, no, it's known uh, the uh, catch he made in center field. It was He made a really good catch uh, where he had to stab at the ball it looked like it was going to get away from him and he caught it and I think Joe Torrey was actually at that game and of course Don Zimmer was actually on the Dodgers um, so it's kind of cool that there's um, th- just uh, how Yankee history kind of links itself um, in that way anyways Mickey Mantle had a go-ahead home run off of Sal Magley with two outs in that game another one of his uh, biggest moments 1958 World Series versus the Milwaukee Braves. Game two, two for three. He had two home runs off of Lou Burdett and an RBI. 1960 World Series, game two versus the Pirates. And in that World Series, 1960, um, he, he really uh, he, he was on fire against the Pirates. Um, he had two home runs, though, in game two of the World Series that year. Two for four, five RBIs. Game three was four for five, a home run and two RBIs. And um, so game three of the World Series... In 1963, against the Los Angeles Dodgers, um, Mickey Mantle hit a game-tying home run off of Sandy Koufax in the seventh inning. Uh, 1964, the next year, World Series, Game 3 versus the Cardinals. Um, Mickey Mantle hit a walk-off home run off of Barney Schultz in the ninth inning. Um, Yankees won the game 2-1. And Mickey Mantle's last World Series game, 1964, Game 7 versus the Cardinals. His last hit against, um, his, uh, or one of his last hits, I think actually, yeah, I think it was his last hit. I think it was his only hit of the game. It was a three-run home run in the sixth inning off of Bob Gibson. So he had definitely had some big hits, even though they didn't win that series in 64. And in 63, when he hit the home run off of Sandy Koufax, he had some great moments still. And just anytime you can get a big hit like that off of uh, Koufax or Bob Gibson is, is big. Um, however, um, uh, now it's time for the top five portion of the program. Where I'm going to men- I'm just going to rank the top five Yankee center fielders. Like I mentioned, Joe D and Mickey Mantle. I still really believe that they're like they're really neck and neck. It's hard to rank one over the other. Um, but just for the sake of doing what we've been doing, I'm going to. So I'm I have to kind of put Joe D number one, then Mickey Mantle, then Bernie Williams, then Earl Coombs, and then Bobby Mercer. Um, the reason why I decided to go with Joe D over Mickey 
was because Joe Deeg, I just feel like, was just a little bit more consistent. And the fact that he he missed three years in the prime of his career, um, that, like, even though Mickey did not take care of himself, um, like, if he had taken better care of himself, he would have been better. But if Joe D had those three years in the prime of his career, I mean, imagine what he could have done. Like, I don't think he, he still didn't have the power that Mickey had. I don't think anybody really did. But Joe D, um, just considering he, he still probably would have had almost 400, almost 500 home runs. He probably would have had four, over, definitely over 460 home runs for sure. Um, but Joe D was just, uh, I, I think he's the probably the best Yankee center fielder of all time and definitely I mean both him and Mickey are are just it's just neck and neck it's hard, it's hard to choose um take your pick so Joe D Mickey Mano Bernie Williams one of my favorite Yankees of all time um Earl Coombs um and I decided to put him over Bobby Mercer I I kind of went back and forth with these two guys but I decided you know Earl Coombs he was a leadoff guy um, and he, his, he was basically more consistent than Bobby Mercer. However, Mercer was just more of a power guy anyway. But um, I, I just—it's uh, kind of—it's kind of sad too with Bobby Mercer because he didn't get a chance to play that many postseason games, so we weren't able to see him a lot in postseason. But I—I—I I, uh, I feel like Earl Coombs is—I um, feel like even Bernie. I just feel like I—I I, I, maybe because I'm maybe he's my favorite player, so maybe I'm a little biased to Bernie over Earl Coombs. Um, however, I—I I feel like. This is a good top five for me anyway. But, I mean, that's my own opinion. What's your top five? Feel free to tweet me at HistoricNYY. Feel free to tweet your top five Yankee center fielders of all time. Again, mine is Joe D, Mickey Mano, Bernie Williams, Earl Coombs, and Bobby Mercer. And also, you can feel free to comment on Facebook or Instagram um, on your top five Yankee center fielders or any other position. And you can feel free to email me at historicpinstripes at gmail.com your top five Yankee center fielders. And also, I just wanted to mention the the trivia question that I mentioned earlier. Who did Bernie Williams get his first hit off of? And the, another trivia question, what player did the Yankees trade away and trade for in return for Ricky Henderson? And you can feel free to email me back the answer to the trivia question at historicpinstripes at gmail.com or any of the social media sites that you see this podcast shared on. And uh, again, looking forward to putting out a new episode Friday on the Historic Pinstripes Challenge number two. So that's it for this week, everyone, on the top five Yankee center fielders of all time. My top five is Joe DiMaggio, Mickey Mantle, Bernie Williams, Earl Coombs, and Bobby Mercer. And as always, go Yankees! (laughs) 